So who is this person that is that is talking to you? I always think it's kind of important or kind of interesting when you decide to uh, give your time because uh, time is something that is valuable. It's something that you are entrusted to uh, take care of and be a good uh, custodian of. And I just truly appreciate all of you that decided to give me your time to give this Twitter space your time because you could have given it uh, to a thousand other uh, people or places. So I really appreciate that. So uh, my name is uh, Dr. Nick Sotelo. Uh, I'm Nick Doc. If if you are in uh, the Wolf Dan or the Guardian Academy, I am a uh, Guardian tier member in the Guardian Academy. Um, And in real life, uh, I am currently a professor. I'm a full-time professor at a small university here in Salem, Oregon called uh, Corbin University. And I teach in the uh, clinical mental health counseling department. So we train and equip uh, students to become mental health counselors. And that's what my uh, doctorate is in. It's uh, in counseling education and supervision. And I also have a full career that I wrapped up about a year ago in youth corrections. So I was, uh, I worked for the Oregon Youth Authority, which is state level corrections for uh, young people. Uh, we can take custody of, of kids ages 12 to 25. Uh, so if you, you do something now up to the age of 20, then you can you can remain in the juvenile system here in Oregon. So um, did that for 22 and a half years and decided that uh, continuing on with that career no longer matched my solvable problem. And so um, was very much a decision to step away from from that career. Uh, based on um, what I wanted more of in my life and recognizing that that career was not going to move me uh, any more closer to what I actually wanted. And so it was a a tough decision, but a necessary decision and been uh, adjusting to that over the past year. So that's a little bit about who I am. And um, this topic of, of open loop learning, or, or probably better said, double loop learning, is something that um, has tremendous uh, interest to me, uh, given the extent that, um, you know, I'm responsible for providing information to people. And, uh, you know, I, I used to fancy myself as a, as a uh, capable problem solver. Um, that's what I did for the state of Oregon. Um, you know, a high level. I was responsible for maintaining and operating three of the the most high risk units uh, available uh, in the state of Oregon to provide uh, custody and care for, you know, some of the most challenging youth cases that you'll find. And so I, you know, problem solving was something that you had to do every single day. And, you know, I considered myself uh, fairly adept at it. And so when I, you know, and I was introduced to this, this concept of, uh, you know, double loop learning a while ago um, through uh, Nick Peterson, through, you know, watching, um, you know, his presentation on, on Nixmas, you know, even prior to the Wolf Den existing. So I've, I've been sifting through it, um, you know, for the past several years, uh, but more intentionally sifting myself through it, you know, over the past year and just just exposing myself. And it's one of the topics that I just find myself coming back to uh, more and more. So uh, 
want to give a, just a little bit of, you know, what, what are we talking about here when we talk about um, open loop uh, versus double loop learning or versus single loop learning? And then, you know, Nick has recently challenged uh, the guardians to, to think about triple and quadruple loop learning, right? And so what, what does all, any of this or all of this mean? I think that uh, most people um, are very accustomed to single loop learning. Right. Um, most of our learning, our formal education is built around uh, single loop learning. And and when you are, you know, at work in an employer employee dynamic, you are, um, you know, force fed single loop learning. But basically, it's the idea that uh, here's information, uh, take the information, consume the information and don't question it and don't argue with it. Um, execute on it which, you know, if you're in student mode means write a paper on the information. It means take a quiz or, or an exam on the information. It means uh, perform this, you know, work task moving into the employer-employee dynamic. You know, take this information, take this um, in instruction manual, take this protocol manual, uh, take this policy and execute on it. Perform your job tasks and your job duties based on this information that I gave you, that I trained you on, that I made you sign off on policy-wise uh, to produce the outcome that, that I or the agency or your employer expects you to do. Uh, I think that the vast majority of people are very accustomed to single-loop learning. Take information, execute on it, get the expected results, and when you don't, then... Um, if I'm your superior, if I'm your professor, your teacher, your boss, what I'm your parent, and I'm going to blame you for the reason why the expected result didn't come about. Okay, so that's that's my um, definition or kind of stage setting for uh, single loop versus double loop learning. And I'm going to pause there and um, invite somebody to speak up and and just let me know: Are you tracking, or do I need to, to spend some more time on? Uh, the, the differences between single loop, I guess I didn't talk about double loop yet, but uh, did that I, that um, description of single loop learning land with you? Did it resonate with you? Do you recognize it in your own life? Somebody step up and be a speaker and let me know if you're tracking me here. Yeah, if anybody wants to come up and speak, just hit the uh, request button. It's a little microphone at the bottom left, and we'll bring you up to speak so you can share. Uh, in the meantime... Oh, yeah, here we go. Awesome. People are coming up. You got Big Al and Fella Brando. So we'll start with Big Al. If you want to go ahead and share, go for it. Yeah, it definitely uh, resonates. You know, where I, I, I think I kind of uh, grew up in an environment where open loop was always the case with uh, flying, firefighting. You're dealing with your loop that you're immediately in, but the loop on the ground, the process going on down there is also evolving at a different rate. So that loop's got to right. stay open as well, right? So I don't know if that's that kind of would be a an example sure. of a double loop learning, correct? Um, I think what you're describing there, and I appreciate you stepping up and, and kicking off, you know, a, a back and forth with me. That's because that's what I want to have. I think what you're describing there 
uh, Big Al is uh, two two groups of people operating on on single loops, right? So if you have and and I'm taking it you using a um, a firefighter type scenario, right? So you have you have all your training, right? That goes into how do you fight a fire in a specific scenario, and you're you're supposed to execute the, on the training. But as you probably, if that's your world, I would imagine that every fire is a little bit unique, right? And there's people on the ground that are that are actually fighting the fire, and there's people in a command center that are uh, observing or guiding the process. And you know, sometimes the process doesn't match the situation, and then what do you do then? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that that is, um, you know, a, an example of what happens when a single loop process, single loop learning um, is, isn't matching the situation that it's being asked to be applied to, then what? <laughs> yeah, that always has to stay open that, uh, so that if you close that first loop where you're, your environment, you're attacking this fire from the air, and you have the ground telling you how they want to, you know, attack the fire on a bigger scale. So those loops yeah. have to stay open. That communication has to stay open back and forth. As soon as it closes, then there's a disconnect, and then it starts deviating. And then that's where accidents happen, because you've got helicopters that are working based on the uh, direct ground control. And then you have a tanker group that's working directly from an air air control, and then you have the communication in between, right? That's kind of how that right. works. So. Yeah. And then I would say we're, and again, I didn't, I didn't define double loop yet, but I think where the double loop occur, and I worked in corrections, right? So I'm, you know, it's not the same as firefighting, but, uh, um, you know, I know how policy and protocol dictates action in high, in high pressure situations. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. So the double loop learning then occurs when you do your after action reviews or you do your incident debriefs, right. Or you, you, whether you had a positive outcome or a negative outcome, right? This is where I think um, settings like ours, Big Al, when I say ours, my former setting is we would only do, you know, incident debriefs when things went went wrong, right? But what about incident debriefs when things went right? Because, you know, one of the lessons that I learned from, uh, you know, my time in the Guardian Academy and, and, and through, you know, consuming Nick Peterson's work is sometimes you can make the right decision for the wrong reason. And that can be uh, just as dangerous, right? When you, when you got a positive and or safe, you know, outcome uh, just by happen chance, by luck, even though, you know, the decision-making process all along was actually faulty. And that if we, if we don't recognize that as faulty, then we're going to think to use it the next time, then we're going to get a negative result. And then we're going to be completely puzzled about, you know, well, this worked last time. Well, how come it didn't work this time? Right. And so, that double loop learning then happens and when when you have situations like that where you debrief and you do after action reviews and you invite people to freely uh, show up and share um, what was going on and, and why they did what they did and so that way you you, you create uh, feedback loops to um, foster that double loop learning so yeah and you know and just uh close off what I was going to say like okay where we did get into the double loop learning, learning was as soon as we finish a mission the uh, air attack officer would draw it all up on the board we'd go through the whole procedure every drop every you know all the action traffic on the ground ground crews fighting the fire and how it all worked out and that you're exactly right that's where 
that's where we evolved from. That's where all the learning came from, right? All the mistakes. Right. And, uh, yeah. Right. Good job. Good job, yeah. Doc. This yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you stepping up. Uh, somebody else, when I when I described uh, single-loop learning and, and my, um, my estimation that most of us are, are accustomed to that, did it resonate with you in, in your own life experience where you're being expected to take information, don't question it, execute on it to get a desired result, and if, you, if that desired result didn't occur, then uh, how do you problem solve, or did you problem solve? Who, who else resonated with that idea that that maybe they they can recognize that in their in their own life up to this point? Uh, fellow Brando, I, I know you came up to request to speak. I'd love to have you on stage if you'd like to share. Yeah, sure. How you doing? Uh, my name is Brandon. Uh, I just found the Wolf Den. About a, a year ago, I mean, I knew about Nick from, you know, in March of 2020, I think. And I guess this whole double loop learning, single loop learning, it's just, well, the first thing is, I guess, in my mind is if you don't do double loop learning, then you might as well not even waste your time time trying to learn the thing because you're just not going to get it. I've, I find that when I read a book the first time, you know, it's it's great. I like it, new information. But then when it comes to actually integrating and reading the second time, it's like pulling teeth for me, but that, and yet that's the thing that you got, you got to do if you actually want to integrate what's in that book. And looking back, you know, when I was playing soccer, I had really crappy coaches. They never recorded any of the games from a higher vantage point. And we never got a chance for double loop learning to look at how we were playing together, how it, us as individuals were making decisions during the game. And for, and for that reason, it's just such a humongous wasted potential by not doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, one of the sources that I went to is the article that we hear batted around in in this community quite a bit, you know, that from the Harvard business review, um, you know, how to teach smart people to learn. And I, you know, poured myself through that article for the first time, you know, in the last, uh, uh, 24 hours were, you know, prior to that, I heard about the article, but I never just, you know, forced myself to go through it. And, um, you, you know, Brando, one, one of the things that's pointed out in that article is that when you have um, expert status, uh, when you have authority, in your case, you're talking about soccer and coaching, uh, well, that coach embodies that, you know, I'm in charge, I'm the leader, I'm the expert. Um, and, you know, the article talks about that if you don't have, and this is where I take a little bit of, of an exception to the article, and hopefully we'll get there at the end of this or some point in this discussion, but if you don't have top-down um, buy-in to this idea of double-loop learning, um, which requires the person in charge, the authority, mm-hmm. uh, the high-paid consultant, if they don't have buy-in into a, their own process of double-loop learning for themselves as a leader, then that's when your, your system, or in your case, your team might be in trouble, right? So if your coach isn't willing to look at their process as in need of, of continual improvement or their methods of, of coaching and training um, as, in, as having the need for improvement, then um, you're kind of going to be locked into systems that may have at one point in time, but they may not work in the current situation. Does that make sense, Brenda? No, absolutely. It absolutely does. <laughs> I mean, really, the biggest thing here for me is just really integrating and consistent with everything I'm doing, and it's hard. It's uh, it's not easy, <laughs> but it's worth it. Right, it's not easy. Right, yeah. 
perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate um, those folks jumping in and, and uh, letting me know that they're tracking. And so I'll, I'll move on then. So um, double loop learning and, you know, Brando kind of talked about it is uh, with the example of reading a book. And when you, when you read a book, do you just read it once and say, okay, I got it. <laughs> and uh, again, when I was putting my flow of conscious out here on the Google doc and I was thinking about, I would, I would read the, um, the article, you know, how to, how to, um, teach smart people to learn. And I would read a point that was being made in there and I think, Oh yeah, I got it. And then I would, I would link myself to, uh, and I've heard this, um, in this other book that I've read. So that means that I really got it. And so even as I was preparing for this, um, I was, I was, trying to hold myself accountable to double loop learning and triple loop learning in that case where, okay, but what makes me think that I got it, right? It, is it just because I can recognize or I can anchor where I've heard or read something before? Does that mean that I really got it? And I think in the past, I would say, yeah, that that would be a reinforcer of, of telling myself that I got it just because I can anchor where I had heard it before. I could recall it. Uh, where I've heard it before, because that makes me sound and look smart, right? If I can repeat, oh, yeah, so-and-so said that before. Oh, yeah, when this article makes this point, I read that in Jocko Willink's book, right? But then I, I was thinking, is that, is that really double loop learning? Um, and, the, and the answer to that, is it or is it not, um, is is it adding to what the what the Harvard, Harvard Business Review article says? Is it adding to my... Uh, master operating system is it is it causing my master operating system to expand meaning i used to think this way we'll call it a i used to think a about this topic uh, now that i'm exposed to additional ideas and and, and dare i say contrary ideas Am I willing to allow that new information? Am I willing to allow that contrary idea to add to my uh, master operating system? Or, because that would be an example of double loop learning, right? Um, and I'm thinking, okay, is, is there a different way of doing this, of this thinking process? Is there a better way? Is there a more efficient and better meaning, uh, you know, in alignment to your, your true goals, admissions, objectives <clears throat> in the Wolf Den we talk about or the Guardian Academy we talk about your solvable problem. That's what I mean by better. Um, is this new information um, making making this process, this way of thinking more efficient? Uh, does it allow me to uh, more uh, adequately or fairly uh, evaluate or analyze scenarios and situations? Right? Because if I stick with the, oh, I got it, single loop, um, conviction, then there's all kinds of things that are whipping by me every second that uh, could be of high value, but I'm not going to see them as such because why would I? Cause I've already got it. I don't, I don't need to, to learn any more about this or, or uh, open myself up to any more ideas. So that idea of just example of um, double loop learning based on reading a book, do you read it once and you say that I got it or do you, thoughtfully work your way through the book point by point and just ask yourself, huh, what does that really mean? Or how can this actually add to my um, master operating system? And so again, I'll pause there as 
one example, you know, one definition of, of what it means to um, employ double loop learning and see if somebody has an aha or an attachment to that, or did, did that the discussion of, around double loop learning cause you to say to yourself, huh, I wonder how this can help my master operating system. Who's got some thoughts or comments or reactions to, to that brief overview of double loop learning? Yeah, I've got something to share. Um, this is, you know, I th- anytime I go on social media or I'm just kind of looking at the world around me, and I even see this with my son, is there's this there's this like narrative around like the more you finish things, the the more benefits. So I'll give you an example. I'll see a post and it'll say the average CEO of a Fortune 500 company reads 52 books a year, which is about a book a week, right? I know that. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, absolutely. And in, 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 in your head, you think, I've got to finish 52 books a week if I want to be on the same level of this, you know, high performance person of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And see, there's an, I almost feel like there's this like human driver of I've just got to finish it. If I finish it, then that means I've done the work and I can go ahead and move on to the next thing. And I got to learn as much as I can in the shortest amount of time possible. And that's, that's been me for, for many years until really I started like getting exposed to this whole concept of multiple loop learning where you, it really forces you to slow down and take something and put it through multiple loops of learning that reinforces it on a much deeper level, because otherwise, what are you really doing? If you're just finishing a book, you know, I, and I, I find my, find myself in the situation in the past where I would finish a book and I would think, wow, that was incredible, but I really don't remember anything or maybe just a few things. <laughs> so you have to like the way I see it is, you know, running it through these multiple loops forces you to slow down and actually, retain the knowledge in a way that where you can more easily apply it to your, to your life. It's, it's getting to that point of application is really the goal. It's not finishing the consumption. It's getting to the point where this can very easily be applied to your life because it's so deeply embedded by using these multiple loops. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Appreciate that. Um, When you were, when you were just, Describing that, I was thinking about our time with uh, Dr. Jeff Spencer at Gray Wolf Summit, right? When he was talking about the, uh, the the champions process and spoke right to this, you know, in terms of, um, you know, what's the point of reading so many books and then not executing on anything? Why don't you why don't you slow down, like you said, Jake, read a book and then execute on on the points made in the book, you know, as as they are delivered to you, right? And uh, uh, I think you see that in, in Nick Peterson's book, Bumpers, the way he wrote it as well, right? It's section by section, but every section is is imploring you as the reader to stop. <laughs> Don't read anymore. Here's an exercise. Here's a way to, uh, you know, he's just open loops for us in that book. And here's how to keep them open uh, for maximum uh, uh, benefit, right? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's a game changer, man. If you can just slow down and not get so caught up into, it's, it's almost like we're just ingrained to like have to check off the boxes of like, I completed this. I finished right. it. I finished this book. So on to the next one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, and I, I was exposed to that, uh, that stat, 
um, a while back, probably three, probably three years ago. So if you, and the evidence is there, if you go back and look through my uh, social media, you'll see it where I was in that mode of, um, uh, you know, I, I wasn't much of a reader and that might sound strange, you know, given my, you know, time I spent uh, earning degrees. <laughs> uh, I've been a professional student is what I used to say. I, I finished my last degree in 2015 and uh, started my first degree in 1995. So, um, uh, but I wasn't much of a reader, and then I would I uh, got exposed to the idea of these types of people, and I'm using air quotes to to around the word success that I drew in the air. Uh, these types of successful people, whether they're pastors, uh, 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 military generals, are also voracious readers too. CEOs, you know, anybody who's a master in their domain or discipline, they have a habit of reading. And I kind of looked at myself and I was like, well, I don't have a habit of reading. <laughs> so I saw that stat about the CEO, you know, reading 52 books a year. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be outdone. Uh, and so I read, I believe I read 89 books in, in 2019, I think is the year. And uh, so you can see a lot of me talking about that on social media. So, uh, it, you know, it, it is something that I accomplished, you know, and I did uh, derive some some takeaways from that. But when I hear, you know, these other people say, well, but why did you do that? Right. I definitely did not embark on that endeavor uh, according to a solvable problem. <laughs> right. I just did it to maybe show that I could do it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I see somebody else requested to be a speaker. Did I see that? Or am I imagining that? No, no, you're, I just, yeah, we got Brandon back on stage. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Brandon, did you have any contribution you'd like to make around this topic? No, I mean, I, I was thinking the same thing. Whereas <laughs> anyone who says, I read 20 books this year, I'm like, oh, so you wasted a shit ton of time, most likely. <laughs> and I would know, I've read, I was that person as well and it's, it's such a damn shame how many books I've read yet God help me if someone had a gun to my head I, uh, I don't know what I could tell them yeah <laughs> yeah open open loops on why are you reading books right <laughs> uh, love it so I, I do want to keep this to you know about an hour. So we've got about 15 or 20 more minutes if you count the, uh, when I got rugged there. So, um, so let me march through a couple other points that stood out to me, uh, in the article as I was preparing for this. And I, I also want to say that, you know, I, I really do appreciate the people jumping in as speakers and, and contributing because that makes it much more interesting to me as well. So, um, so what, what some barriers that were identified um, in the uh, article by, by Chris Argus, who wrote it in 1991, by the way. So, um, and when I was reading it, it was like he was speaking to me, you know, in my, in my current life in, in 2022. So that one indicator when, when things are really nailed right is when they, they seem to be timeless in their application. So uh, what, what keeps people, systems, organizations, leaders, um, um, away what 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 makes them avoid double loop learning right because again the purpose of double loop learning is to challenge your current way of thinking about things thinking about yourself thinking about others thinking about the world around you challenging your your approach to problem solving and it forces you to think um critically about why you've drawn the conclusions and convictions that you have 
right? And uh, is the reasoning that that brought you to those convictions and conclusions that stirs is it still serving you well? Uh, when you when you if you were to write it out, if you were to to speak it out loud, um, would you still say to yourself, "Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I, I you know that makes sense to me." Uh, I had a little example of this when. Uh, my first opportunity to to teach at university uh, was actually in the same program that I graduated from. And so I got asked to teach courses that, that I had taken. And so I'm handed a syllabus from a professor that was handed to me in almost the same fashion. And I remember uh, digging up my old papers that were scored by that professor and reading them. And then maybe five, six, seven years had gone by at this point in time. And I, and I read this paper that I wrote when I was 28 years old. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, this is what I thought. <laughs> this is how I responded to that question or, or to this prompt for writing. And sometimes that was on target. And sometimes I was a little bit embarrassed that, uh, you know, I, I had thought that way, you know, in not that much time ago. And so uh, so this in that embarrassment is what was pointed out in the article. Um, as the, the, the probably the number one reason why uh, people who are leaders, people who are in positions of authority, people who are experts, uh, why they uh, do and probably um, you know, unconsciously avoid double loop learning is because uh, it can be embarrassing uh, when you challenge their their expertise on things, your own expertise on things. Well, that doesn't feel good because you you've spent a lot of time. Uh, uh, energy, effort, a lot of different currencies went into you becoming the expert status or that authority. And so to, to go into a process of where was I off on this or where have I outgrown this or where did I really miss this because I was so um, uh, tunnel vision into my way of looking at this, that can be embarrassing. And that's, that's the number one reason why people avoid um, opportunities, opportunity uh, exercises and uh, processes that will require double loop learning. So here are the things, how do you know if you're, if you're in single loop learning, here, here are the four markers. Um, it, it, you know, the, the expressed um, desire is to remain in control. Again, this is when somebody is exerting, I'm the boss, you do what I say. I'm the expert. Uh, this is how you do it. And when you deviate from that, you're going to be in trouble. Right. So that's that's one idea or one indicator that you're in single loop learning. Uh, the expressed outcome is to always um, uh, maximize winning and to minimize losing. So we want to win at all costs and we never want to lose. But when you listen to experts, uh, true experts who are uh, adept at uh, multiple loop learning. I'll take that one from Jake, right? Uh, double loop learning and, and beyond. And I think of John Maxwell, I listened to him speak live on stage. And, you know, he said probably his number one secret to, to business success is to start your business, get it going and fail as fast as possible in the first year. Uh, to rack up as many failures, you know, maybe we call them micro failures in that first year, uh, because then you'll get it all out of the way and you'll have your, your business strategy and model all ironed out, right? Um, so that definitely does not fit into the idea of win at all costs and never lose, right? Uh, and that's, again, I think that's all about uh, avoiding embarrassment, right? Because uh, if you start something new and it fails or you have some micro failures, so that can be embarrassing. Uh, you know, I think about, um, you know, a few, a few years back um, when Elon Musk, um, you know, 
started launching his own satellites to build Starlink. And if you don't know his real um, driver behind uh, creating Starlink, it isn't to provide internet to to the world. And and I'll just throw it out there because I like I like having fast fact trivia. Does anybody know what Elon is actually doing with Starlink in terms of his own personal desire and mission? What what's his what's his purpose for Starlink? Knowing now that it's not about providing internet to the to the earth, why is that a passion project for him? Would it be communication to Mars? <laughs> I don't know. Very, very That's close. Very, okay. very close. You're, 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 you're definitely within the, you know, the, the ten ring there for sure. <laughs> mm. Was that you, Jake, that said that? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's me. Yeah, yeah. So he wants to he wants to use. So he set up a funding stream to um, support his personal desire to to colonize Mars. Right. And so that that's the the funds that are derived, you know, that are yielded out of Starlink. He, he is funneling into his personal mission to put people on Mars. Right. And so <laughs> um, and the reason why I'm talking about that, though, is that he lost satellites at first, like his launchers, fa- his launches failed. Um, and, you know, the 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 you know legacy media would pick up on it and they would say you know Elon Musk had three satellite launch failures this week you know th- does he is he using his company's money responsibly whatever the headline is whatever the hook is to get you to read the article or stay tuned right and so somebody got him on video or or got him you know on record um, you know asking him to 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 be accountable for these launch failures and his response was. Um, in my opinion, very much a good example of double loop learning. Um, he said, yeah, we knew that we were going to have failures. And we knew that, of course, we didn't think that we were going to have 100% success with launching these satellites and that some, we were going to lose some and that we were going to have you know, catastrophic losses. Of course, we knew that. And we kind of uh, calculated um, given the risk of error in this whole process. And yeah, the amount of satellites that we've lost so far makes sense according to our calculations. And I remember when he, when he said that I was just kind of blown away. Right. Uh, because he wasn't embarrassed by it by all at all. He understood that losing those, those, uh, those launch those launch satellites at first was actually necessary. And that the sooner, sooner that he could get that out of the way, the better off um, that his whole project would be. And now if you look at the headlines about Elon and launching his um, uh, satellites off his own, uh, using his own rockets, what he gets praised for is his ability to actually launch those things and then recapture the pieces of the rockets in usable fashion. He can actually reuse them. And so he went from a process of look at this fool who he's blowing up his own satellites and rockets to now he has a process to where he can actually um, recapture the parts of the rocket and reuse them. <laughs> and so uh, he's made, he's made the process. He's turned it into a green, a green process, green energy process where, you know, NASA hasn't even been able to do that as far as I know when they, when they launch those pieces land in the ocean and, you know, yeah, who knows if we ever get them back. So, uh, Okay, so that's number two, uh, maximize winning at all costs and, and never lose. Three is to suppress negative feelings. We don't want to feel icky about things. We don't want to feel sideways. We don't want to feel embarrassed. Uh, we don't want everybody to always feel good about things, right? And we, we don't provide space as leaders for people to uh, express their their feelings, even if they are negative, right? We will we will push those down. We'll suppress it. We try to do back into things like, you know, here's a open, uh, 
a suggestion box or we we you know allow anonymous surveys to come into play um, but then do we actually um, take those pieces of feedback um, seriously do we actually again as leaders or, or organizations do we take that feedback even when it's negative and again ask yourself huh I wonder how this person came to this conclusion what is their experience what do I know about this experience that's being described here that's making me feel uncomfortable and can I can I give it enough space can I keep the loop open long enough for me to really see um, what's going on there, right? Versus, oh, that guy is ridiculous. That person's being ridiculous. She doesn't know what she's talking about and you just dismiss it, right? So uh, third indicator that you're in single loop learning is that you suppress negative feelings at all costs. And the fourth one is gotta be uh, as quote unquote rational as possible, right? Uh, meaning that um, if we have, if you think that you have clear objectives, then the evaluation of behavior is equally clear, right? So again, here, here's your policy, here's your instruction, do it, get the result. And then if you didn't do it right, well, I'm gonna blame you as the person who in, uh, had incorrect interpretation or application of the information. So those are four indicators that you are operating in single loop learning. Uh, and again, I'll pause for people to have comments, questions, or feedback on that. When have you been stuck in that or when have you been responsible for, for operating like that if you've been in a position of authority? Yeah, if anybody wants to come up on stage and, and contribute uh, or share, uh, definitely come up. Oh, we got Big Al. Here we go. Bringing up Big Al. What's up, Big Al? Go ahead and unmute yourself and share away. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been in, caught in single loop learning all the time, you know, raising my family. You know, you get tunnel vision going in a direction. You think you're doing something, then you you lose that second loop, that open loop, right? So going over it all the time, I think it's something that, uh, you know, and the way we're raised in society, at least the way I was, you know, things get closed all the time. This is relatively new the concept you know to to study it open loop learning even though yes you know i did it in past it wasn't consciously known that the, okay this is open loop learning right so getting that solid uh practical application on a personal level you know how i deal with my family you know and uh and whatnot, you know, just day-to-day -day life, like, keep, can you keep those open loops open, even when you don't disagree with, when you disagree with stuff, you know, and the right. political turmoil going on around the world right now, can, you know, that's closing loops so dramatically, and what it does is that, you know, I think, is it, uh, well, it closes, it closes loops. So it closes optionality. It closes ideas. It closes perspective and, uh, and right. it weakens, you know, it's obvious it weakens right. society. Right. So it, this is great. Like learning it from all kinds of different directions, you know, your presentation has been awesome. Just looking at, uh, your, uh, doc here and stuff and I'll go through it and kind of you know, reflect on what you said, but it's really opened up my eyes a lot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll be looking forward to that six word update then <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, does somebody else step up and 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 want to contribute? Feel free. The water is nice, Dwayne. Yeah, we go ahead, Dwayne. Yeah, um, I finally got the kids out of the room, so I have a quiet moment here. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I want to say the open loops. Like when I first heard about open loops last December during Nixmas or whatever. Um, basically put everything on hold for like six months. And when you say open loops, it's like, okay, well, I just need to leave this open until I learn. And then, but then it's closed and I can move on. <laughs> right. Like, right. But uh, you want to like, apply single loop process to open loop. <laughs> all right. Yeah, exactly. And so to just like, you know, be aware when you're about to try and close a loop and be like, ah, is it, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable right. to like sit in it and just like, and go through it. But as, um, yeah, it, it was very uncomfortable for those few months of just like sitting there and wondering like what's going on and how I'm supposed to be learning and trying to close it and close it. And, and after months, it just kind of closed itself, you know? And then, I, then all of a sudden you find yourself in a different space is what I found anyways. All of a sudden right. my mindset had shifted and, and I was moving on. And then it, then in retrospect, I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I did close that loop actually. <laughs> like I can right. move, I can move on to the next step or, or put it through the second loop or whatever. But, um, last night, actually I got a little story. My wife recently joined the board of directors for like our daycare. <laughs> and so she's never been in that kind of, uh, role before. And currently through contract negotiations with the staff and cause they're union. But anyways, so the meeting last night was very um, polarized in like the board members, like denying the contract and this is what we're doing and blah, blah. So when she came home from the meeting, she was all fired up and she's like, I can't believe they're doing this. I'm sending an email and I'm going like, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like you got to leave that open for a minute because you, you just went into a situation that you didn't <laughs> understand and got a whole bunch of information poured on you. And now you instantly want to react and like, and, and, you know, close that loop and get that uncomfortableness away when I was like, no, just like sit on it and figure and like, let it percolate on what you need to do to move forward. Um, so this morning she wasn't going to send the email. I don't know whether she'll make it through the whole day. I'm interested to hear when she gets home from work, but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch, um, people squirm when you, when you ask them to just leave loops open. Right. Yeah. But anyways. And, and what, what was her what was her in the moment response to you, Dwayne, if you if you care to share when you said, uh, Oh, whoa, 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 leave that loop open. Don't 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 fire off an email just yet. What was her immediate response to that? It was like she didn't know what to do. She was like, What do you mean? Like, no, right. I'm gonna send this email. <laughs> like right. and it's it's like, well, no, like you know, you you don't need to just jump on this. Like just sit with it and and think about you know, do you need to be involved or what, what are the second and third order consequences? Right? Like right. She was just rushing right in without even, you know, trying to think further past the initial response. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah, her eyes got pretty big when I asked her to just sit in it. <laughs> she was like, ah, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I love the examples that you, that you and big Al just brought up, you know, around this stuff. Uh, playing a role in your in your 
life with your family members, right? Because it's 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 present there. And I could go, you know, a hundred different directions here, and I'll try not to because I know that we're kind of up against the hour. But um, you know, um, that I mean that is that that protest that we get from people um, when we suggest you know, a double loop process or an open loop process, um, that, that protest, that protest that we get is telling us like, Oh, they are very accustomed to single loop learning, (laughs) right? They don't know what to do with a different process. And just by us, um, you know, suggesting that there might be, you know, a a different way of approaching this problem can be very unsettling to them. Right. Because, and again, this is, uh, when Nick Peterson exposed this as a, this is the primary sales and marketing tactic, right? Is to open a loop and then, you know, whether the problem is real or imagined, open the loop and then uh, sell the product that closes the loop as the solution, right? This is, this is, this is sales and marketing 101, right? And, um, and so we are, we are very much conditioned to, to that type of process, right? Uh, here's a problem. Here's the solution. Uh, insert the solution get, and, and, and be happy forevermore, right? Let's, and then five minutes later, we're not happy. And so then we uh, look, look for other ways to close the loop. But um, Yeah, like it's almost uh, what, you know, if this is the first time you're hearing about this thought process and how it works, the first open loop, is learning how to deal with open loops. Like, right, right. You know, just like sit with that and try and work your way right. through that before yeah. you, and understand it. it yeah. uh, that was, yeah, th- that was what my first adventure was, was, okay, open loops. How do I sit yeah. with this? How do I, how do I learn yeah. how to do this? Open loops about open loops. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... And I think it was, I think it was Big L that talked about, you know, as, as the more we get exposed to the concept, you know, we do get some of those like, oh, this is, this is where this fits. I just didn't know that I didn't have language for it. Right. And this whole, this whole discussion that we've been having over, you know, the, the year or so in, in the Guardian Academy, um, if you've been plugged in and that you're hearing right now, uh, you know, just the, in my everyday life, you know, I, I find myself thinking, oh, this is what's going on here. This is a, this is a single loop situation that we're, that's being exposed to, you know, open loop or a double loop scenario. And, uh, you know, I teach counselors and uh, I've also been a supervisor for people who are um, earning their license. So after you graduate, you have to put in, you know, at least in the States that I'm in, it takes 2,400 supervised hours of actually delivering counseling before you can become licensed and you have to have a supervisor over that experience. And, you know, I look, I, my process early on was to try to create carbon copies of me in the way that I um, would, would do the work. And then that didn't work out so well um, the first couple of times that I did supervision. And then I realized, okay, my goal is not to create carbon copies of me. My goal as a supervisor is to help this person uh, become the best counselor that, that they can be in their own unique way. And so I started learning as I had to open up my tolerance for uh, the way that the the services were delivered and, and documented and kind of open up my my ditches, so to speak, uh, to provide enough space for these people to grow and develop uh, in the way that that's the best fit for them versus the way that I would do it. And so carrying that into my, uh, teaching and, you know, how I would construct lessons and how I, you know, write up my, my syllabi. Um, 
And I very much this year, because I've only been, I've been an adjunct for 10 years, and this is my first year of full-time, you know, uh, faculty member uh, being a, you know, a full-fledged member of a faculty team. So that kind of ups the the onus, you know, on, on me and my process. But so very much um, marching into constructing my courses, my assignments, uh, my syllabi. Um, and I don't know that on the front end of it that I was thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to teach this from a double loop perspective, but it was definitely there unconsciously. And the way that it was there was, um, you know, uh, social justice in, in the, the professional mental health counseling realm is, is, a, is a top priority. Right. And that we're supposed to be advocates for social justice. We're supposed to be uh, helping the shift the system to improve outcomes for marginalized populations. And just even thinking about that, and I, I know Malik's here listening, and you know he's uh, very active in the you know the the addicts or uh, the artists for addicts project, um, you know, with the mission of changing the conversation of addiction. Well, that conversation is very thick, right? And how do you how do you propose information in ways that you open up loops, um, knowing that you're going to ruffle feathers along the way, right? But you still have to venture into that conversation and knowing that you're going to ruffle feathers. So. I would um, have a topic that we would be discussing, you know, per the week's agenda. And then I would give them um, counterpoint arguments, you know, uh, videos on YouTube or articles that would uh, address the topic that we're talking about and then give um, two very um, points, two very different points of view on it. And then the students would come to class and they would say, well, I watched video one and I was so compelled by the arguments, but then I watched video number two and then that person had equally compelling arguments, but I don't know which one's right. And that's what they would come to class and they would, they would kind of have this complaint, right? Uh, what's the right answer? And more and more I find myself saying, well, it depends. <laughs> and for some students, they they appreciate that, for, but for some students, they they get kind of hacked off about it because again they're they're used to that single loop learning. They want me as the professor to tell them what the right answer is, so that they know how to write their papers, so that they know how to get the grade, so that they can graduate, you know, with a diploma, so that they can go out then and perpetuate the same system, right? That they can go out there and they can tell other people what the right answer is, so that they can do the thing that they are supposed to do in their life, so that they put the feedback to this, to the student who's now a professional, Oh, you're a smart person. You know what you were talking about. Right. So I think a, a lot of it is um, them being bought into single loop learning. So that way they can be perpetuators of sing, single loop learning. Right. And so uh, I kind of get a kick out of it now. I, I know it's going to come I'm going to give you complete two polar opposite views of, of the same critical topic. And I'm not going to close the loop for you. I'm going to, I'm going to make you sit uh, on the open loop as much as possible through the, through this course even if it means I get maybe some crummy course reviews, right? That's the risk that I have to take. That's the embarrassment that I might have to answer for. Now, the article talks about too, that if you have people in the middle in your hierarchy, if you're talking about an organization, because the, the author was, um, his PhD was in organizational leadership. Um, if you have people in the middle um, that are operating uh, around double loop and be okay with it, it's very unsettling to the people above them, the people below them, right? And so this is why the article talks about um, having a top-down approach when you're trying to shift the system into, into double loop learning. So again, I'll pause um, 
and see if there's any kind of reflections or comments. I saw some of the, uh, you know, the emojis popping up when I was giving that example. And then in, in about two or three more minutes, depending on how much the exchanges, we'll wrap this up. Anybody have any uh, aha moments or I'm with you or you're full of BS uh, remarks for me here? That's okay too, because that's the marker of, of, of double loop learning if you call BS. Yeah, I'd love to share uh, something that's really been a big aha moment for me. And it's actually had posted in the Guardian Academy, I think a day or two ago, had a call with my eight-year-old son is a third grade teacher. And he is um, really struggling with just with, with school and learning and getting a good learning process in place. He's very similar to his dad. His, his dad likes to rush, and I was always the first one to to finish tests and turn things in. And he's the exact same way. He's he rushes through things, and and um, his teacher told me she's like, if we could just figure out how to get him to slow down, then we he would do so well because he's he's capable. And um, so the big aha moment I'm getting from this is, you know, we always think about how we can apply this to ourselves, but what about our kids? Right. Like how, how can this be applied to our children and right. especially having young children that are starting to enter, enter this education system where you're right, it's a lot of single loop learning. So how can we parents at home can introduce double loop learning and open loop learning to help them better understand the things that they need to learn so they can you know build a better foundation as they go through go through school and perform and perform better. So that's, that was the big takeaway for me just with my own personal situation going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, and Jake, thanks for bringing that up. And um, a couple more examples here about, um, so what's the solution? If you, if you're bought into double loop learning, uh, how do you um, begin to, you know, start uh, implementing that in a, in a meaningful way and I'll, and I'll provide, uh, at least two examples there, and then we can wrap this up. I don't have a, a hard time stop, but I know that you know other people might. And so, um, but um, so yeah, with kids, and I think the article points it out. That it's embarrassment that that's at play there, right? That when your kids aren't performing, especially in a in a school scenario or setting, um, it's embarrassing for parents, right? Because it it implicates you know your competence as a parent. Um, it's a, it's embarrassing for a teacher. Right. My, I'm married to a, a, an educator. So, you know, uh, she was a classroom teacher for, for 15 years. Right. So uh, I understand the pressure that teachers are under to perform. And then when you have a student that's in your class or you, nowadays, when you have a handful of students that are in your class as a teacher and they aren't performing well, um, the way that those systems are set up, education systems set up, it's set up to, you know, blame the teacher, right? That there's something wrong with their instructional strategies and processes um, that where these handful of students um, aren't performing well, right? So you have parents that are being blamed, you have teachers that are being blamed, and then you put the parents and the teachers together and, you know, maybe you might be able to get a school counselor involved, maybe the principal might get, some, might get involved, but you have two very activated uh, parts of this, the child system, you know, it, in email exchanges, phone mail or uh, phone uh, conversations, voicemails going back and forth, face-to-face conversations, we have two activated systems that are embarrassed, right? And you have to be able to uh, 
for the sake of the child, you have to be able to step out of that and adopt a, a you know an open loop or a double loop process, because uh, ultimately, or ultimately, your child's going to suffer in that. And you know, from the parent's perspective, it's okay. And I've helped a lot of parents through this situation, right? But okay, your kids, you know, I think anything sub third grade, you really have to understand in your child's education in the in the traditional system, um, the ultimate goal for for uh, education is to get that child to be able to read by third grade. That is one of the um, sole metrics that has any kind of lifelong trajectory in terms of being able to predict outcomes, right? So, okay, you're in kindergarten and, and the kid is fidgety or you're in first grade and the kid doesn't understand, you know, whatever that they're trying to learn, right? But if we zoom out and ask ourselves, uh, is this kid going to be able to, to be on track to read by third grade or what do we need to do to get this kid on track? Um, you know, that's taking intimate knowledge of, of what's really going on in the education system and giving to you, you know, uh, but you know, have to coach parents through that. Right. Uh, kindergarten is ABCs. It's primary colors. Uh, it's, you know, following, you know, instructions, the kid's going to be fine, you know, overall, even if he's a quote unquote, a little bit behind he or she, you know, in kindergarten or first grade. So, but yeah, these things have, you know, direct application to our roles as parents for sure. Uh, let me, let me leave you with um, at least one, one example of um, a process that was worked that I think fits double loop learning. So when I was reading about this in the article and then I'm thinking about it an example, I'm a, I'm a big fan of anything a Navy SEAL writes. So I'll just admit that right now. So in his book, Jocko Willink uh, writes in his book, extreme accountability uh, about a scenario where, um, you know, he's over in Iraq leading a, uh, a, a SEAL team. Um, uh, he was a commander of, of, of Bravo group, Bruiser group. And um, uh, they, the command recognized that the uh, SEALs were going out without their uh, rear plate and their body armor. So they were only going out or, or certain number of them were only going out on missions with their front plate, not their rear plate. And they have a protocol. It's kind of like if you're a scuba diver, uh, before you go into a dive, you're supposed to have a buddy check your whole um, system and setup to make sure it's all in place and it's all functioning correctly. Well, they have the same setup in, um, uh, you know, in the SEAL teams before they go out on mission, they're supposed to check each other's equipment. And one of the checks is, you know, is your body armor in place and, and you know, operating appropriately. So then, you know, Jocko and his um, NCO were trying to think of, like, how, how is this happening that they're going out on mission and they don't have their rear plate in? So they brought them together. And this is the, this is the, the solution is you have to have open dialogue and you have to have, uh, you know, a, an environment where people are free to speak. Right. Because otherwise um, you just you just you just speak at them. You speak past them. And they either won't voice what's really going on or they'll just parrot back to you what you think that you want to hear. Yep, we made a mistake. We won't do it again. We're sorry, whatever, whatever, right? Those are kind of those bow accountability moments, right? Uh, so in the book, he talks about it and he asks them, you know, hey, we noticed this. What's, what's going on here, right? And there was, you know, some moments of silence and somebody spoke up and said something to the effect of, well, we don't plan on running away from the enemy, 
So therefore we don't need a rear uh, body armor plate uh, because we're not going to run away. And so that having the rear plate actually makes us slower because we're not able to move as fast. And so that was the response as to why some people um, in the group had decided not to uh, wear their rear plate. So in that exchange, it was still explained to them, here's the reason why the rear plate's important is because if you take any kind of, uh, if you take any kind of uh, frag hit from a grenade or a rocket or whatever, IED, and, you know, even though you don't think it's coming from the front, you can't predict where it's going to come from. And if it hits you in the back, you now have um, put your whole team at risk because now they have to tend to you um, and not be focused on the enemy. <clears throat> but he talks about in, in the exchange that he didn't, he, he recognized and validated the, the response and, and saw it for, you know, why that would make complete sense given their uh, approach to the, to the mission and the work they were doing, but then also provided, here's the reason why um, we need you to have a backplate. And as opposed to you did it wrong, uh, do it like this, you're going to get demoted. Uh, that, you know, he was able through his process of extreme accountability uh, to have that open dialogue and to really listen to learn is one of the tenets that I learned in my, in my time in leadership is listen to learn is one of the principles. And uh, so when I was reading the article about, you know, having, uh, you know, what's the solution Well, you got to have environments where you can have open dialogue, that, that example um, from uh, extreme accountability and Jocko Willie came to my mind around how do you problem solve the rear plate not being in place. So I'm going to cap it off there in terms of an example of, of double loop learning. And I'll do one last invite for uh, folks to, you know, reflect on that example and or share what their major takeaway uh, was from our time spent today in this Twitter space. Nick, Doc, I'd like to say something for sure. Uh, it's been great. Thanks so much for putting this on. This is such a, you know, complex, or it has ability to be everything from super simple to extremely complex and you know right. And right. we're going to uh you know i'm just super excited about where we're going with this and i think you know you, you started something that's just phenomenal a good shot good uh preparation putting your training your expertise your learnings all you know sharing them with us and engaging us with that you know stellar work my friend uh i look forward to the next one thanks so much yeah appreciate that appreciate you being here anybody else yeah i mean i just want to echo al al said this is great you you definitely did an amazing job of um, being an educator in this space and, and bringing some some healthy perspective around open loop and double loop. I keep wanting to call it multiple loop learning. No, I think you're I think you're onto something there. <laughs> Run with it, right? Because <laughs> well, yeah, the reason the reason, <laughs> the reason the reason my mind goes to that is because I, I I'm thinking about like six different loops to like run the learning through. Mm -hmm. and, and when I think a double loop, I think it's just two loops. Absolutely. So, so any, anyway, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, no, this is, this is great. I, I'm, I think this was just an awesome experience and, uh, you know, you did a really good job of making it flow and it definitely gives me some open loops to think about 
um, when it comes to my kids. Like that's the big, I've been, you know, working on this to a degree for myself, but I, I'm really thinking about how I could really apply this as a parent and, and be a uh, stronger support supporter yeah. for my children as they move through their educational process. Yeah. And, and did that, did that land with you that I gave that idea that, you know, as, as a parent, it can be embarrassing and is yeah. the teachers embarrassed. Is that, did that make some sense? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I got on a call with uh, my teacher or his teacher the other day, I could, I mean, she did a really good job of, you know, um, articulating everything to me, but you, you could tell it's probably a, I could hear a little bit of a hit in her voice where it's like, this is a little awkward yeah. conversation. Yeah. And, and, and even for me, it's like, we, we got his uh, grades back and he's like failing in math and failing in reading. And we're like, we need to, we need to like, we need to do something. We need to make right. some changes. We need to figure some stuff out. So um, this, yeah. <laughs> this open loop learning concept and yeah. discussion could have come at a better time for, nice. for yeah. me and my wife. So I appreciate yeah, it. Love it. Yeah, and I think, uh, and I see Mark requested, and we'll get to him. And I think, uh, again, in, in in Jocko's book, their extreme accountability, the, the the process that I just described to you, and of course, it's way better if you read the book. But the process that I described to you is what he calls a, a zero blame analysis, which again I think is, uh, you know, that's re reflected in the article, the Harvard Business Review article, how to how to teach smart people to learn. Right, the temptation is to go into that circumstance with the teacher as a parent. And, you know, t the temptation is to figure out how you're going to assign blame. Uh, and so if you're going into that as the parent, uh, the teacher is also coming into it, right? Because the teacher's embarrassed. And so they're going to be looking for a way to assign blame as well, right? And so uh, the, the, the double loop there is to resist that temptation, show restraint in that, in that uh, feeling mode, that temptation. And do the zero blame analysis. Okay. Our child is struggling in math and reading. How do we work together without blaming each other, you know, as, as systems of parents and educators, uh, but how do we work together? What are your resources as a system, as an educator, what are resources as a parent and how do we work together for the, for the, the benefit of the child? Right. And so I think that's the lesson learned there is how, how do you, how do you resist the, the blame that can emanate from, you know, the feeling experience of, of embarrassment. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's great. We'll have to go back and listen, re-listen to this and take some notes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Mark, you, you requested to be a speaker. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, Nick, thanks for hosting this. This was great. Um, one of the things that jumped out to me was the idea of presenting uh, diametrically opposing viewpoints that have compelling arguments. Right, kind of, right. Kind of reminded me of like debate team and things like yeah. that. But, you know, I can see applications for that with my eight-year-old daughter. I know both my wife and I tend to present the answer to her daughter when she's asking questions or when right. we have something we want to say. Right. And I can see how it would be much more effective in the long run to yeah. – to assuming that her attention span is holding at the moment to right. present her some longer things to think through. Yeah. Um, and even at work, right? Like it's, we're still working through things. I work at a tech company and there's always more than one way to do something. And um, I want to make sure that I present my team with, with not only like, I guess it's not the same approach there. And in, in that approach, I think what I'm hearing here is that, 
I should leave the approach open and present them with goals. And then, you know, when they come to me asking for the answer <laughs> to encourage them to, Hey, like, Hey, here's, here's the goal I've, you know, made, we've made an effort to hire smart people. Um, please think through some of these things and come back with, with the results of your open right. loops. Right. right. <laughs> so. Yeah. I think when we, when we communicate as leaders that we're fallible, right. That's a big part of it. Um, that we're fallible, that we know that we're going to fail. Uh, and then how do, how do we, how do we as leaders uh, model how to respond to that failure? Um, when we have those things in place and then when we, when we say things to our, you know, our direct reports, like uh, you, you need to, you need to bring the issues to, to me so I can listen to them because I'm not perfect. You know, this policy can't be perfect. It can't apply to every single situation. This protocol can't apply to every situation. And we yeah. depend on you, the ones that are executing uh, on these policies and protocols to provide the feedback. And uh, I want to know uh, how it is that you came to your conclusion because you're likely going to provide information to me that, that I haven't uh, thought about myself. But uh, those are words just said if we don't actually live them out in, in our actual day-to-day uh, -day process as, as a leader. Yeah, and that actually just kind of opened up something as well because you jumped right to policy and process when I was right. thinking about uh, implementation and technology. And right. And right. like, oh my God, it applies to both of those. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thanks again. Yeah. Hey, for, for those that don't, maybe not, aren't aware, um, Mark there just uh, submitted his uh, capstone project to apply to be uh, part of the Guardian tier. So, uh, you know, our, our, our thoughts are with him as he's going through that process of having his capstone vetted and, uh, uh, you know, those of us that are guardians here, I think, I think we all are now. Uh, anybody have any um, words of encouragement or wisdom for Mark as he's in the midst of this process? Play your game, man. Just play your game. Do it, Love do it, it yeah. do it the way that, that best that speaks to who you are and, um, and you can best present your capstone. So just go, you know, there's a lot of good inspiration out there. You know, I did a podcast for mine, uh, Nick Doc, actually, you were the first one yep, that kicked it first. off with the you were the, you were the guinea pig. So yep. you set the you set the tone, and and um, a lot of us follow. Some people have done articles, videos. I mean, it's just you know, do what I, I always. My, my suggestion would just be whatever you feel like you best, how you best show up, whether it's writing or doing video or or you know, if you want to record a podcast or however it is, whatever works best for you, just play your game. Yeah, thanks. I, uh, I ended up coughing up kind of a, a long-form article, so um, sat with that thing for quite a while. <laughs> so I look forward to it, Mark. Uh, it's good to listen to you here too, today, too, and uh, yeah. yeah, good yeah. stuff. I'm glad it's long. It's going to be some good stuff in there. Look forward to it. Thanks. All right, well, let's wrap this up. I appreciate everybody, again, spending their time with me on this Twitter space. Time is valuable, and I'm honored that you uh, invested in me and yourself by tuning in here. And, you know, uh, uh, pinned to this um, uh, 
uh, Twitter space is the, the link to my Google doc, uh, you know, big Al already said he's been looking uh, through that and found value in it. Again, not to say that there's anything right in there, but it just exposes people at least to one way of how you might prepare for any kind of a talk or um, Twitter space or uh, you know, any kind of public presentation. That's the reason kind of why I put it out there. And, you know, the call to action here for those that were present listening to it live uh, or people that catch the replay is, you know, again, part of my selfish reason for this is doing this is to keep my loops open for triple loop, quadruple loop, multi-loop, as Jake calls it, learning around this concept of open loops. So those six word updates are going to help um, uh, provide feedback loops to my learning process here. And I know that those six word updates will add to my uh, master operating system. And this will turn into uh, you know, a formal article and a formal presentation, and I'll be dependent on those six word updates to inform my process here. So uh, it's more than just an obligatory call to action. Uh, if you got value out of this and you want to contribute to this process, uh, knowing that other people will come across this and it will open up loops for them, then let that be the motivation for your six word update in terms of takeaways here. Jake, uh, anything else to do before we wrap up? Nope, I think that covers it. Just uh, I'm looking forward to, the, to seeing the six-word updates. And um, great job, Nick. Everybody, thank you for coming up and making your contributions. The dialogue was amazing. So thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Guardian Academy podcast. Hope it was helpful. If so, do us a favor, subscribe, leave us a review. Now remember, live to learn, give to earn reflect on and wrestle with any new ideas that you heard in this episode and then turn around and share your experience with others remember many of the audio files were pulled from video and turned into articles in our knowledge center which you can access for free there will be a link in the description if you want to stay in the loop and hear more about what our members our partners and the community is doing both in the real world and the web3 world check out our friends at inside the den podcast not only are they great dudes they're highlighting and interviewing the movers and the shakers and they helped us set up this podcast to be simple helpful and fun